Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I would like to be that person. Wow. So Damn. can I ask you a question about that, sir? Yeah. How did you come to sit down with Ivanka? Did you have to go through a bunch of other people before you got there? Uh, was there a prior relationship? Uh, because you're asking her to uh, somewhat bear her soul about the family. So... You must have had, she must have had great trust in you. How did that come about? You know, uh, right after he won the election, uh, I was called by the BBC, and they wanted me to come in and do a TV show early, and it was the middle of the night here in Washington, D.C. But I wrote a book called All the President's Children, and it's the, the bios of all the children of America's presidents. So they wanted me in as an authority, to talk about the fact that Donald Trump had just appointed his son-in-law and daughter to work in the White House. So they sat me down and said, well, this has never happened before, and this is outrageous, all that sort of stuff. I said, actually, Ivanka Trump is the 19th son or daughter of an American president to serve in the White House. They said, well, yes, but uh, 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 a woman has never served. I said, actually, Anna Roosevelt, uh, ran the White House for FDR his last year in office. She actually planned and ran the Yalta conference all by herself. Uh, so it's very common. Uh, well, why? Why would a president want to appoint his own daughter or his own son? Because the most important quality Donald Trump will soon find out in the White House is loyalty. And that's why. Well, I went home, I got my pajamas, got back into bed, and thought nobody in the world is ever going to see that because it was in England. <laughs> nobody was watching, but I was wrong. <laughs> Ivanka Trump was watching. <laughs> and uh, they got their positions in the White House, and partly because I made the historical argument continually that th- this was perfectly legitimate and normal. So who called you? She sent me an email and with the with a link to the BBC story and said thanks, and that began the relationship. And it lasted about a year or so before I asked to write the book. And then they spent a year debating. <laughs> I'm the guy who tape recorded Bush. They weren't going to let me in the White House. So there were all kinds of people for and against it. And finally, the president, he just he, he just one morning said, let's do it. And that was it. And I asked him myself, I said, why did you trust me and why? And he said, oh, I had Michael Beschloss come to Mar-a-Lago right after I won. And he spent a whole week kissing my, you know what, now he's on TV attacking me. I just didn't feel chemistry, but I feel chemistry with you. So it is true that he tends to trust uh, desire over competency sometimes. If someone really wants to do something, he tends to trust that desire 
and give them a shot. And I think that's what was happening with me. Is the uh, is there an, a substitute word for desire, passion? <laughs> yeah, passion and interest. Uh, if you enjoy what you're doing is what, what he teaches. And he's done that again and again. When he ran for president, he put his, his daughter-in-law, uh, Lara, in charge of North Carolina, which was the critical state in their strategy. And she had no political experience whatsoever, but she had uh, a, a great passion. So um, how long did it take you to get the, get the raw data? Two years. Uh, the, the president said I could talk to anybody I wanted to. And uh, I started out saying I want to talk to every cabinet member. He said, good, good. But first, I wanted to talk to the family. And when I got into the family, I never got out. <laughs> it was just too interesting. Who would you rather hear tell you about moving the embassy to Jerusalem? Jared Kushner or, or a secretary of state? I would rather have Jared Kushner. So, um are you saying that the, the president put no limits on what you could talk about? He put no limits. And uh, about the, he was completely... How about the family? He was completely honest and open. And, and the family was completely open and honest. Uh, I asked Ivanka about how she bears up under the attacks and... She says, I refuse to be bitter. I will not be bitter. I can't function unless I'm happy. So I choose to be happy. And uh, she talked about her children. She talked about her work, uh, met with her and her husband at their home in Georgetown and met with her in her office numerous times and met with Jared in his wonderful hideaway office in between the Oval Office and the Chief of Staff suite of offices. Uh, that's quite a location, I'll tell you. So, the thing that I'm interested in is, uh, and I've ordered your book, but I'm waiting till Christmas to, to read it. Um, <laughs> one of the things I'm, I look at, and I, I am author, I've written seven books, three children's books and four books on terrorism. And wow. I, I look at our first lady and I, I'm I don't believe I'm a sexist when I say this she is one of the most elegant beautiful statuesque women forget about being the first lady that I've ever seen and the poise and grace in which she handles her position she doesn't say you have much time with Melania no, I didn't get to interview Melania, but uh, she's the only member of the family I didn't get to interview. I interviewed Tiffany, for example, who's never been interviewed since her father was elected president. But the children told me the most wonderful stories about Melania. And the president himself talked about Melania this, Melania that constantly. So I was able to get some wonderful stories in a great picture. They have a very playful, very romantic relationship. And she loves him and she's proud of him. And she's a loyalty enforcer in his inner circle. And he's proud of her. Uh, she, she's had 
tremendous attacks. They, uh, a New York Times reporter called her a prostitute, said that she had been a prostitute. He, he apologized, but the New York Times did not uh, fire him. So she's gone through hell. Sometimes at night at the dinner table, when she's under attack for no reason on earth other than just pure jealousy, he'll, uh, he'll tease her and he'll say, Melania, honey, isn't this great, this journey I'm taking you on? You're the first lady of the United States, thanks to me. And she'll say, oh, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So the kids get a real kick out of how they are, are handling the pressure they're under. Yeah, you know, I, I I grew up. I'm 74. I grew up in the mystique of John Kennedy and Jacqueline Kennedy, Camelot as it was called, and and yeah. I was sad when he was killed. Um, still sad that he was killed, and she she became, let's call it the standard for a first lady in her poise and her elegance and her language skills. But I, I really think for as little as I know about Melania, I think she's head and shoulders above Jacqueline Kennedy. And um, I don't know whether it's important to her to get the recognition or not, but it is amazing how um, they were they were complaining about the jacket that she wore when she was introducing the White House decorations. I mean, it's it's just it's just amazing um, that she's so elegant, so beautiful, so poised that she has to go through the crap that the American reporters uh, will not give her credit for what she's accomplished in her life and. And does and she doesn't get it. And and I look at the other the other. I mean, if you if you look at the Trump family, the children and the grandchildren, can you imagine a more attractive family in the world anywhere? As far as a political leader, no. Um. So you said that Jared has an, an in between office. What's his relationship with the president? He has a great relationship with the president. Um, he he's the fireman. When when something burns out of control, they go to Jared. I thought because you know Jared and Ivanka are Jewish, they lit the candles in the Lincoln bedroom for the first time in American history. The the candles were lit, welcoming in the Sabbath, uh, for example. And people think of Jared and Ivanka as more liberal. The truth is, they're all very loyal to Donald Trump. And it's true that he will rely on Jared and Ivanka to sometimes give him a different opinion and challenge the opinion so there's a good debate. But once the president makes a decision, the whole family falls in the line solidly behind Donald Trump. And uh, Jared has actually been... Brilliant. He's he's <laughs> he is uh, an amazing strategist. Uh, he told me something very interesting. The Trump children travel all over the world, and from time to time throughout 2017 and 18, heads of state would pull them into their office and say, uh, 
please tell your father when you get home, we're so sorry he's going through this Russian collusion nonsense. <laughs> when I heard that story, I, I thought, well, of course, I, I needed the perspective of the children to see this. Of course. If you're the president of France or the prime minister of the U.K., if you're Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, you pick up the phone as soon as that article appears in the New York Times. You don't wait two years for the Mueller report. You pick up the phone, you call Mossad, and you say, hey, I've known the Trumps all my life. What in the heck is this story in the New York Times about? I want to know by 6 p.m. tonight, because your country's economy and your country's survival depends on knowing, is the president of the United States a Russian spy? It's the most ridiculous thing. And that perspective from the Trump children helped me see. I mean, if Trump were a Russian spy, it would be, it would be one of the greatest events of history. It would be like landing a man on the moon. It would be like Columbus's voyage. And, of course, it's ridiculous. Yeah. If you if you look at the the interviews that you did, who would you say has the greatest amount of influence on President Trump? You know, he's uh he's like a machine that's been <laughs> that's been running for some time. I mean, when Ivanka and Don Jr. and Eric, when they were little kids crawling around his desk on the floor, he was ripping up the New York Times every morning and cutting articles and underlining articles and telling his secretary, get this information, get that information, filing them before files existed on Windows and computers, putting them manually, hard copies in filing cabinets. He was frustrated his whole life with what government was doing, and he always expected somebody to run for president, uh, but nobody did, that would clean it up, that would make it better, and finally he did that. So it's hard to think that, that his kids or anybody is influencing him. He's uh, influencing them. So does he have a person that he, he, he carries a great deal of stock in? for advice? You know what I've noticed? He'll hire people that disagree with him. I mean, a good example of that was, was Bolton that, as NSA director. He, he bad-mouthed Trump for two years before Trump hired him, and he didn't care. He wanted him on, on his staff to argue his opinions, and then Trump would make his decisions. And I noticed that Trump, there's a real method to his madness. You know, Sun Tzu once taught that uh, out of chaos comes opportunity. And I can mm -hmm. see that Trump likes to blow something up and then put the pieces together again. He did it with NAFTA. He did it with NATO. This is very much his uh, uh, modus operandi. So with NATO, he just blew it up. Why are we doing this? And the media went crazy, and the Pentagon sent generals in to sit down with him and lecture him like he was a little boy. And These are right. our friends, sir. We can't do this to our friends. And he's saying, well, if they're friends, why are they lying to us? Why do they sign this agreement and not keep it? Why does our middle class have to build high-speed railways in Germany while we defend them? 
And so he blew it up and then he rebuilt it and he's raised a hundred billion dollars for NATO, stronger than it's ever been uh, because of what Donald Trump has done with NATO. I want to give my friend IQ an opportunity to ask some questions and then I would hopefully if we have time, Jim, come back to me. IQ, it's up to oh, you. Oh yeah, IQ, jump Thank in there. No, I have really one question. Why was it were you not able to talk to Melania? I mean, she's so important. As Dan said, she is really second to none to Trump. Why were you not able to have a one-to-one -one with her? I don't know. I wanted to, and uh, I, I certainly would do it, but she's reluctant, and she doesn't trust the press, uh, but she was very impressive. I remember one story... Uh, it was Christmas 2018, and uh, the president was going to go to Iraq into a combat zone, and the Secret Service sat Melania down and explained to her how dangerous this was. She said, well, then I'm going. And they said, no, no, you're not going. We, you know, only twice in American history has a first lady gone into a combat zone, and in both cases, it takes many weeks of preparation to prepare that. She said, if my husband is in danger, I will share that danger with him. I'm going. And so on Christmas night, 2018, the president and Melania flew out to Iraq to be with the troops. Uh, so she's a very interesting woman. You're right what you said. You're right. We've got to... Uh... I, hope, I sincerely hope when you... As Dan said, is it on the internet? What's the name of the book? Because I'm going to buy it for sure. It's called Inside Trump's White House. Inside Trump's White House. Okay. And you can get it from any Amazon or anybody, really. Done. We'll be done tonight. We've got uh, Doug Weed with us today, New York Times bestselling author, former advisor to two American presidents. He served as a special assistant to the president. Uh, George H.W. Bush, White House. Mr. Weed's books are known for their primary sources, and uh, he's interviewed six American presidents. And uh, this book contains uh, a lot of interviews. Uh, who, who was the easiest one uh, to get some information out of? Donald Trump. <laughs> it just flowed. It just flowed. Uh, you know, Bismarck said that... that Politics is the art of the possible. With Donald Trump, I see he's not a politician. He's not a diplomat, for sure. He's a businessman. And he wrote in his book, and he taught that, uh, that you deal with the toughest problem first, and then you go on to the second problem, and then the next problem. And so when he went in there, when he met with Barack Obama as president-elect, he asked uh, Obama, what is the toughest problem that you're facing right now and that I'm going to face. And Obama said, you will have a war with North Korea on your watch. And Trump said, I, I asked him, well, uh, have you called him? And Obama said, no, I haven't called him. He's a dictator. He's a dictator. And then Trump looked at me. We were having lunch, and he looked at, at Bill Shine, who was there, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. He looked at us. And he repeated Obama's words, no, I didn't call him. He's a dictator. And then there was a long pause, and Trump said, stupid, 
stupid. <laughs> so, so I guess as a businessman, he learned if you got a problem with somebody, they may hate your guts and you may hate their guts. But when you got a problem, you pick up the phone and you call them. And that's what he did with Kim Jong-un. Uh, if I might ask a, another question. Um, in, in thinking about what you've been saying for the last 40 minutes, um, <clears throat> I'm curious as to, um, we had a, maybe historical is uh, the right word or the wrong word to use, <clears throat> but we had the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee today override a vote of the entire House, allowing one day of testimony by the Republicans, witnesses. He summarily dismissed that. And so we have the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee deciding that he is above the Congress. And whatever the Congress decided, he doesn't have to be abided, uh, obligated to do it. And what I wonder, the arrogance of the Democratic Party and their abuse of power, their manipulation of the law, their lack of truthfulness and honesty to the American people, uh, the outright lying. How does this country ever heal? How do we not remain divided forever? Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it, in my experience, I've been, uh, I was part of the uh, Bush family political machine for almost 40 years. And I've seen the establishment, both Republican and Democrat. And Donald Trump was able to see uh, how crony capitalism worked, uh, how they pass regulations to keep you from starting a business, how they work with special interest groups that appeal to the Democrats to keep you out of business with regulation. And then how under both Republican and Democrat parties, when there's a recession, they pass a stimulus bill. The last stimulus bill under Obama was a thousand pages. That's the size of the Bible. And what they do is they exempt these companies from those regulations that have passed that created the monopolies. And they're multinational companies, all of them, and they all make tremendous amounts of money with China. So here comes Donald Trump. They don't like him. They hate it. He's, uh, he's upset. They're, uh, he's moved their cheese. And so they're very upset, and it's about money. And that's why the media, which is owned by these companies, and if they're not owned, in other cases they're sponsored, their shows are paid for by these companies, it's why they're going after him, and that's what drives it. And I'm just, uh, I feel we're lucky that at least some Republicans are standing up for him. And he's turned the economy around. He's brought back the middle class. We today have 7 million unfilled jobs. That's the population of the size of Indiana, the state of Indiana. We've never had an economy like this. And he represents the gold standard of presidents peace and prosperity he's the first president in 40 years not to have invaded somebody we invade panama or granada or bosnia or libya we invade somebody so far maybe he will still iran who knows but so far uh, he hasn't invaded anybody and the democrats are upset 
They feel they, the only way to beat him is to impeach him, and the only way to impeach him is to shut down all opposition. But, but um, I mean, no disrespect, you didn't really respond to my question. How does this, ever, does this country ever come back together and unify, given what the Democrats have done for the last three years? How do, how do we heal that enormous divide and gap between the far left and conservative Republicans in the United States? How does that happen? Or well, I don't possible? know. I don't know. Well, that's because a good answer. It, it, it's, getting pretty, it's getting pretty dark. I mean, the Democrats brought in professors uh, to lecture us on the Constitution from Stanford and Harvard where they don't allow free speech on campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, where they have professors who teach that the world's going to end in 10 years. And Stanford, uh, they just hired a football coach with a five-year contract at $4 million a year. They have an endowment of $26 billion, and they say the world's going to end in 10 years. Seems to me they ought to use some of the $26 billion to help the environment. Either that or they should refund the hundreds of thousands of dollars they charge their students for an education. Because either they're lying to them or, or they're hypocrites in what they're doing. So academia, Hollywood, uh, the billionaires. Uh, you have Elizabeth Warren complaining about billionaires. They supported the Democrat Party 20 to 1 in 2016 because they run monopolies and they depend on regulations. And Donald Trump is breaking the dishes, turning over the tables, and they don't like it. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote a commentary saying that uh, th there is a positive from the Democrats' activity in both the Foreign Relations Committee and the Judiciary Committee. And this is my observation. For... The better part of three years, we in the media have talked about the deep state. And yet, the deep state has always been referred to in a nondescript way. And what we saw in the two panels in the House Intelligence Committee, we now have faces on the deep state. We understand that they do not like our country. They do not think the president should have the right to establish foreign policy, that they should be in charge, and he should be simply be a token head. So I thank the Democrats for showing the American people just how ugly, um, conceited, and elite the deep state is in Washington, D.C. Number two, when we had the four professors from the legal schools, three of them except uh, Professor Turley, we now have, we have, we've talked about, on infinitum, about the degradation of the quality of education and the openness of education in our colleges and universities. We saw the face of three college professors who are telling us we're dumb, stupid, and not capable of making the decisions. Only the elites can make those decisions. So we now know what the deep state looks like and how it thinks 
and we now have a better understanding of what the college professors who are corrupting the minds of our children look like and how they sound. Well, that's a good observation. Uh, I found it interesting that uh, the Stanford professor, the woman, hates Donald Trump so much that she said she can't walk on the sidewalk outside his hotel, yet she was sitting there to decide who the next president should be instead of 63 million Americans who had voted for him. She was now the authority. And I saw how angrily she attacked the president's 13-year-old son, and that hit home because I don't know if you are aware or have read, but I've received continual death threats to my children by name, all five of my children since my book was published, and that's been ongoing for some time. That seems to be the modus operandi of the left in America. Uh, I found it ironic that Nancy Pelosi was talking about founding fathers when only last week the Democrat Party linked up with the New York Times to begin this re-education program of American young people, the 1619 Project, which will say that America was founded in 1619 by uh, criminals who wanted to establish a slave state, uh, notwithstanding the fact that slavery existed in the British Empire until the 1830s. Uh, but this is uh, an odd juxtaposition. Now they, they, they say they're patriot. They talked about the founding fathers, Nancy Pelosi, when they've rejected their, the founders of their own party, Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson. They've eliminated Jefferson Jackson Day fundraisers in the uh, Democrat Party because they disapprove of their own founders, and yet they were talking about the founding fathers and the Constitution compel them to impeach Donald Trump. It's, uh, what is that? it's an what amazing is that, moment. What does that tell you about the integrity, the more moral integrity of the Democratic leadership? Well, I worry about the, the stupidity of the American people. I mean, how can the American people, I guess they don't care. Surely they know Donald Trump is not a spy. They know that. And yet they still tell themselves that or tell other people that or hope that there are people stupid enough to believe that. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, it's breathtaking. Let me share with you a situation that happened this morning on Glenn Beck's program. He sent out a reporter to one of the local colleges and they took photographs of Stalin, Hitler, Obama, and Trump. And the children could not identify Joseph Stalin. They had no idea who he was. And, <laughs> and they asked which of the four was the greatest. And they put Barack Obama in number one simply because he was black. His greatness was the fact that he was a black man who was elected president of the United States. Nothing about what he did. And when they showed him St Stalin, they didn't have any idea who Stalin was. Then they went to Donald Trump, and um, the reporter said, so do you know that he killed six million Jews? And the student said, Donald Trump killed six million Jews? 
the student didn't even know the their world history that Stalin had killed six million people, along with Hitler killing millions of people. But because they mentioned six million people being killed, they were surprised, and they thought it was Donald Trump. So it's uh -huh. a demonstration of the inadequacy of the education system in the United States when our, quote, college students do not know their world history and do not know their American history. And in a sense, you're right in saying that they're stupid because the education system, which is controlled by the left, has decided what our children are going to learn and also what they're not going to be told. Which comes back to my question to you. How do we change? How do we get rid of the division in this country between left and right that is so violent? And that the, the, left, the left is now in a position with the squad and other people saying, if you do not agree with me, then you have no say. Now, that's, that's, that's contrary to the Constitution. But I honestly believe, sir, that the Democrats believe that. If you don't believe what they believe, your opinion doesn't count. And how I, I, I worry about how we're ever going to bring people back to the middle, where we can have a, a respect to disagree without brutally attacking the other party. Do you see any hope for that happening at all? Well, uh, not a great deal. Uh, the only hope is the rhetoric that Nancy Pelosi used, even though it was contradictory to her own pre presidential candidates in the Democrat Party. It, it, it let me see that she's aware of the fact that the Democrat Party is drifting away from the mainstream. The way she talked about, I'm in prayer about this, she's got to begin to see that the Hollywood dominance of the Democrat Party uh, is, is not going to work uh, as easily. But it's very frightening for me. Uh, you know, I'm an old guy. I guess I won't be around to see it. But uh, it doesn't look good. So if you're, if you're concerned, uh, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, if Donald Trump gets reelected, you can sleep a little easier because he's likely to control what's going on as best he can. But when he's finished his second term, and the, and the Democrats go after the presidency, is that where we're most vulnerable as a nation? 2024? If, if, he, if he doesn't win re-election, it, it'll be very it'll be, it'll discouraging be to me. Yeah, it'll be very discouraging to me. Now, there are some parts of his legacy that won't be reversed. I don't care who the next president is. They're not going to refund NATO the money that they had promised to raise, that they raised under Trump. They're not going to rewrite uh, the Mexican-Canadian-American uh, uh, deal. They're not going to go back to NAFTA, which was 17,000 pages long. Imagine that. 
They were on TV. Republican, establishment Republicans were saying, oh, Trump's against free trade. He's against the free trade agreement. Well, NAFTA was 17,000 pages. What do you think were in those pages? Uh, it doesn't take 17,000 pages to say free trade. They were filled with all kinds of deals for one company or another. And I don't think they'll go back on his new trade uh, agreement, but they probably will go back on China. We've had, in our lifetime, the largest transfer of wealth in world history outside of the Middle East from the American middle class to China over the last few years under Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, under four presidents. And uh, it's been tragic. Well, if you look at, if you look through the World Bank, you look at the economic data of all the industrialized nations of the world, there is only one country that has a trade surplus with China. Every other country in the world has a trade deficit with China. So not only have they been taking advantage of us, they've been taking advantage of the rest of the world. And the rest of the world seem to be almost complicit in allowing themselves to be raped and pillaged. May I interrupt? Fascinating. <laughs> By the way, that country is England. Go ahead, IQ. Interesting. In response to what you said about how to change the divide in America. It is of, of course true that the leftists control the narrative in the schools and universities. You use the word complicit in a few, a few seconds ago. The ones who are most complicit in the failure of the education system in the United States of America are the parents of these students who pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to these institutions who corrupt the minds of their children. The fault is not with the education system. The fault is not only with Congress. The fault lies instantly and all over time with the parents who never raise their voice to say, what are you doing here? How dare you educate my children in anti-patriotism, in false in absolute garbage. They never correct me if I'm wrong. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's a good observation. Let me, uh, I know we've got a couple minutes left. Let me, let me throw another idea at you. I asked you the question, how do we reverse the trend? Um, and I agree with you. It's a difficult question. But let me throw something on the table that, for your consideration, we have an investigation going on into the activities. We clearly found out today with the Steele dossier that that was the sole document that was used to get the FISA warrants to spy on the Trump campaign. I wasn't People. able to watch that today. That's interesting. That's the first I'm hearing about. I'm, I'm anxious to see all of that. 
So let me let me suggest to you what has to happen in order to change what's going on. And what I'm about to say you may perceive to be extremely radical, but I think in order to solve the problem, it has to be radical. I believe between now and the general election, a grand jury will indict the former president of the United States, Barack Obama. And the shock of what comes out in a trial of what he had done to this country will be so shocking to both sides, they have to come together. Because they'll realize just how terrible things really are in this country today. Well, it's, uh, it, it, I don't think that will happen because I don't think that uh, public opinion will allow it. But it's interesting you say that because when I interviewed the president, I got into this whole question of deep state and what, what was happening. And he paused and he said that they were spying on me. They were spying on me. Now, he'd been president two years by the time of this interview. So he'd learned quite a bit about what the president knows and when he knows it. And the information yeah. is like currency. It has value. You spend it. And it goes right to the president. You want to be the one to tell the president, Mr. President, they're not letting you know this because they want you to have plausible deniability, but I think you should know. And the information just flows to the president. So uh, Donald Trump was telling me what he had learned, and he said they were spying on me, and it's treason. Think of that. They were spying on me. Then he paused, and he said, Obama. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't agree. think it'll ever. Uh, I don't think it'll ever uh, lead. There are there are legal protocols that some of the activities that was done by the deep state can only be performed with the direct authorization of the president of the United States. And I think there's going to be a time when somebody's going to be asked the question: What did the president know? When did he know it, and what did he do about it? And Barack Obama may not be called to testify, but I think there's a possibility that he could be indicted because of the seriousness of the crimes that his administration committed. The idea, the idea that the press will not support it, the idea that they won't indict him because he is the first black president, to me, it doesn't make any difference. If the man broke the law, he should be prosecuted whether he's black, white, yellow, or green. And I think that the American people will support that situation, especially as they understand how difficult, how disruptive, how corrupt, how illegal the activities of the Obama administration were against Trump and his staff people and that we, as Barr said, we had an administration spying on the president of the United States. And Democrats, Democrats objected to that. They're not objecting to it anymore. So um, what do you think is going to be the outcome in the House? Will they pass a bill of impeachment? 
I think they will. What do you think? I think they're rushing. And the report today that came out from Horowitz, the, the early, early line on the report was that it wasn't going to be as damaging as people had thought. I believe that was all rhetoric. When the, when the inspector general says that the entire evidence for the FISA warrants was based on the illegal document, the FISA warrant, that's serious, serious situation. And, and we had Drummond come out this afternoon and say, I don't agree with all the conclusions in the Horowitz report. And he's investigating criminal activity. But the, the, the Horowitz report is such that it's, I understand it's like a thousand pages. Um, um, I just think that it's, it's going to start a cascade. And in addition to the president of the United States being indicted, I also think one of the things that will change the philosophy in this country is when Hillary Clinton is wet, wet, let out of her house in Chappawa in handcuffs and is also indicted for all the things that everybody knows that she did that were illegal and treasonous. So what has to happen, in my opinion, is that the people who created this muss now have to pay the piper. And that's going to mean a lot of people are going to be disillusioned about who they thought these people really were. We will see. I, <laughs> I don't have that much confidence that law will prevail. Well, I am really looking forward to reading your book. I appreciate the time that you yes. gave me today and put up with all my questions. <laughs> um, well, this has definitely been fun. Before we let everybody go, IQ, I want to start with you, my friend. How do we uh, find you online, get your books, everything else, IQ Al-Rizzoli? All you need to do is Google my name, Al Rasuli, A L R A S O L I. And it was a fantastic talk. Thank you very much. Now, uh, Dan, bring us up to speed on your uh, nonprofit and uh, books and everything else you're doing. Songs and Stories for Soldiers, a 501c3 that helps veterans suffering from post traumatic stress disorder, sleep deprivation, and suicide prevention, is now the sponsor for. Sanibel Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. This is our third year realizing that veterans who go into a VA facility, shelter, uh, can get clothes, they can get a hot, hot shower, they can get food, but the VA can't supply them with shoes. This is our third year, we are through our first week as of today. Tomorrow we are turning in to the VA 223 pairs of shoes, no men's response. and women's, and over 400 pairs of socks for men and women. We have approximately one in 10 veterans in this country, male and female, that are homeless. And in Florida, where I live, we have the third largest and fastest growing veterans population in the country. 8% of our veterans in Florida are homeless women. So we are, uh, 
we don't know what the number should be because we already blew past the previous years. All I know is that the outreach has been phenomenal, and um, you can find more information about that and songs and stories by going to my website, danperkins.guru. You can all find information about my books. And thank you so much, sir, for joining us today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, Doug, before, thank you for having me. before we let you go, how do we get your book and connect with you online and everything else? Well, I'm Doug Weed at AOL.com or DougWeed.com, and it's D-O-U-G-W-E-A-D. And the book is Inside Trump's White House. And uh, you can go to InsideTrumpsWhiteHouse.com, and it'll connect you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.